I've got an incredible story for you guys. Uh, this is uh, something that the Israelites just could not get over. They continued to share this story. Well, they were pinned. Like, there was this army that was coming after them, right? And they were pinned. There was an army on one side. On the other side, there was this enormous body of water. And they were about to get destroyed. And they didn't know what to do. So they cried out to God. And the most amazing thing happened. The water in front of them. I mean, there's this mighty wind. And the water in front of them, it split in half. And that water was, that wind was so powerful that the ground that was at the bottom of the water, it was dry. And so all of these people that were about to get sandwiched by this army were able to walk across on dry ground. And when they got to the other side of that body of water, the army that was coming after them, they went in and they were crossing on dry ground. And then the water collapsed on top of them and drowned them all. And the people were delivered. And they could not get over that. So they wrote about it in Psalms. They told it in stories. They kept telling it over and over and over and over how God delivered them. So I want to preface that because I've shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again because this was like a Red Sea being parted story for me. I mean, it happened. There are people in our church who were here on this particular night that I'm going to share this, what, what, what I'm about to uh, express what happened. So this is back before we started HopeWorks. And I had a, a bunch of people at this... Um, we were playing sand volleyball, right? And it was an outreach. We were going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were expecting many people to get saved. But here we are at this outreach, and then it's, it looks like, like the clouds are coming in, and the wind is picking up, and the temperature dipped down. And people were like, this is before the, the, the time of apps, you know, where you just like know exactly what the weather's going to be like in an hour. And they're like, Shane, if we start getting rained out, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we're not going to get rained out because we put too much prayer into this night. God would never let us get rained out. This is too important. And guess what happened? We were getting rained out. And it was the kind of rain. Have you all ever seen the rain? Like, <laughs> did you all see the movie Forrest Gump when it had all kinds of rain? Well, this was the kind of rain that was blowing sideways. And we were all huddled under this little pavilion. And it was, the, the wind was blowing so hard that these barrels, these trash cans, they were blowing over and rolling. Uh, paper plates were flying off of picnic tables. And I'm having this little conversation with God in my heart because I had just read, uh, this was just like a, a week or two earlier, I had just read how uh, there was this guy, it was Tony Evans in fact, he was doing this big outdoor crusade at this stadium, and they were getting rained out, and they, this lady prayed, and Tony Evans shares this story that the clouds parted around the stadium and like closed back on the other side and kept moving, and they didn't get rained out. And so they're like, Shane, it's, we're, we're getting rained out. What are we going to do? And in my mind, I'm having a conversation with God, and I'm like, God, I guess you don't care enough about our ministry like you do Tony Evans' ministry to stop the rain. And at that moment... You know that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit? I heard, well, at least they had enough faith to ask me to stop the rain. But I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. And then this guy, he was a brand new Christian. His name was Don Thomas. We called him Big D. He looked like a big grizzly bear before he got saved, but then he got saved and he looked like a big teddy bear. Well, he had the gift of faith. And from the other end of the pavilion, Don said, why don't we just ask God to stop the rain? And everybody just looks at me like, hey, yeah, that's a good idea. And I'm like, shoot, Don, you have no idea the position that you just put me in. Because if I say, no, God doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. I mean, how hypocritical are we going to look? But if I say, okay, yeah, let's stop. Let's ask God to stop the rain. And the rain doesn't stop. How silly are we going to look? And I was like, well, let's just give it a few more minutes. And he says, let's just ask God to stop the rain. And everybody looks at me again. 
And I'm like, shoot, I, how do I get myself in these situations? That's, that was my thought. And so Big D and um, Sean Socher were on each side of me, and they put their arms around me, and they said, you pray, we'll agree. And it's kind of the thing where you don't have much faith until you step out, and then it's like that step of faith that the Holy Spirit takes over. So I just started praying. And I remember my prayer in its entirety. I prayed, God, not five, not three, not two minutes from now, but right now, stop the rain, because these people need to hear about the gospel. And at that very moment, guys, I kid you not, at that very moment, the rain instantly stopped, the winds died, it was perfectly calm, and I was covered in goosebumps from head to toe, and we were in this little prayer circle. And we didn't break the prayer circle. We just kept praying, thank you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. And it's kind of, it's like my heart was right here in my throat. And I was thinking, I've read about moments like this before in the Bible, but we're actually standing in a, in a moment like that. And we said amen, and we turned around, and everybody's just kind of looking at me like I'm Moses or something. And I said, guys... The same God who walked on water 2,000 years ago is still alive, and he's obviously still calming storms, and he wants to come into your heart and calm the storms in your life if you let him, and many people got saved, and we'll never forget about that night. And I was introduced to a characteristic of Jesus Christ that we started talking about this morning, and we're going to finish talking about tonight, and it's this. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's his name. He's the wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. And when Jesus was born, the angels declared, peace on earth, goodwill to men. He's the prince of peace. This thing called peace, as we talked about this morning, is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus Christ. And not just the presence of Christ, but it's intimacy with Christ. And it's submission to his authority in our life. And then we know the peace of God that passes all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this morning, we talked about what the peace of God is all about, and, and we looked at the peace of God. There were some steps in Philippians chapter 4, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon uh, from this morning. But it's not just resisting anxious thoughts. We all have anxious thoughts, and it's a temptation to indulge those thoughts so that we have anxiety in our heart and frustration. It's not just resisting anxious thoughts, because what do you do if you just resist anxious thoughts? What are you thinking about? You're thinking about, don't think about that, don't think about that, and what are you thinking about? You're thinking about that the whole time. And so if you just try to resist anxious thoughts, you're still going to have anxiety in your heart. It's not about resisting anxious thoughts. It's about replacing anxious thoughts with what? Prayer and praise, prayer and praise. Do not be anxious about anything, it says in Philippians 4, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's not just about resisting anxious thoughts, resisting thoughts about how am I going to do on this test, or resisting thoughts about how am I going to pay these bills, and how am I going to do in this meeting, and what about this family member, and what about that family member, and what about this person, what about that person, and what about this situation. It's not just about resisting these anxious thoughts or trying to fall asleep at night and your mind's going in many different directions. It's not just about resisting anxious thoughts. If that's the case, you'll never defeat anxiety. It's about replacing anxious thoughts with prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. I gave a testimony of how the only way I was able to fall asleep last night was to resist anxious thoughts. Not just resist it, but replace it with prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. You never outgrow that. It's not that, that you 
develop enough knowledge about God where you can just uh, not have to cast down thoughts because uh, of our flesh and the enemy and this world and the pressures. We have to constantly and continually, proactively replace anxious thoughts with prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. We talk to God and we praise God and thank Him. We talk to God and we thank God. Prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. And so, if you have your Bibles, open it to the book of John. I'm sorry, the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. And it, I think it's awesome to see all the kids in here. In fact, let's just give it up for the kids. Let's just put our hands together. It's awesome to have them. Jennifer talked about a special Sunday coming up on, uh, not this coming Sunday in seven days, but in 14 days. It's the 26th. We've got this uh, Christian illusionist coming out, and he's going to share the gospel, but he's going to do a lot of tricks. So I, I was walking around an apartment complex and just inviting some kids to church. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go to church. And I said, well, what if we had like a Christian magician, or what if we had a magician there? They're like, yeah, I'll go to that. And so I was like, well, let's just get a magician. He came out last week, and it was one of the highlights of, of the year. So he's coming out in two weeks. And, you know, I would just like to say this. I, I would like to say, you know, for the last two Sundays, the Apostle Paul has encouraged us. He's challenged us to say, this is what Paul said, how bold is this? Whatever you see in me, do it. I mean, that's a whole nother level, right? Because I'm the one who's always saying, you know, hey, just let's look at Christ. Don't put me on a pedestal. I'll let you down. Christ will never let you down. But Paul said, no, look at me. If you want to know what it is to follow Christ, follow me. So, that's bold, isn't it? So let's, let's live like that. And in that, I would just like to say, you guys, follow my example in, in rounding up kids, please. I mean, you guys do, they're everywhere. I mean, seriously. If you drive through your neighborhoods, if you drive through apartments, you've got to swerve to meet them. Evangelism is really simple. Just open up your eyes and invite somebody. And let's really invite kids. I mean, let's round them up. Let's go everywhere. Let's pack our cars out. I mean, I don't know. A, a, a Tahoe could probably have 12 kids in it, just totally packed in. Just pack your cars out and bring a bunch of kids out in the children's ministry. It's, it's going to be on the 26th. We, we'll have some cards in the lobby. And there'll be a, there, there'll be a Christian illusionist there. And they're going to have a blast. And by the way, if you're looking for a place to serve, roll up your sleeves and just pour into kids or pour into to the church family. Our children's ministry is an awesome place to start. Uh, talk to Jennifer Marywell about it. Uh, indicate it on your Connect card. You'd like to serve in the children's ministry. And just, you know, it, it starts out, it starts out real simple. Um, <laughs> in fact, I met, I met Brandy, Victoria, and Jabez about, I don't know, how long ago was it? About five or six years ago. And, and Victoria was recounting to me uh, her first encounter with me. And it wasn't a real confidence booster, to be honest with you. <laughs> but she was like, yeah, I just remember this guy came up. I don't know who he was. And he was like, yeah, I'm Shane. And she didn't say anything. And she said that she looks back on that and kind of feels sorry for me because she's like, gosh, how many people like treat Shane like that when he walks up to them? And I was like, more than you could imagine. But, um, but, but that's how it starts. You just walk up to somebody and you just say, hi, I'm Shane. And at first they might look at you like you're crazy or something like that. It's okay. But the second time, third time, the tenth time, the twentieth time, they'll be a little more used to you. And, and by then, by then, God will do something. And you'll be inviting them and their friends and their siblings to church. And, and it's, not just, it's not just bringing them out to one church service. I mean, it's adopting them into your life. I, uh, highlight of my year so far was a note I received from Brandy. And she said, 
Dear Pastor Shane, thank you so much for being there for us and treating us like your own kids. I'm glad to have met you and going to this holy place for over five years. It's been, been a blessing. I'm very thankful. And then she just shared some other things. And so I want to encourage you to, to, to round up. Round up kids. Pack your cars out. Bring them on the 26th. Volunteer in the children's ministry. It's a great place to start. But, but don't stop there. Keep bringing them out and get to know their friends and keep inviting them out and bring them into your family and take them to lunch afterwards and just love on them. Find out when their birthdays are. Uh, just encourage them. Be there for them. So it's the 26th. And, and let's, just, let's just keep reaching out to kids. So it's going to be an awesome Sunday. And I think many kids are going to come to Christ. I know many kids will come to Christ. So here we go. John chapter 4. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15, and here we go, Matthew chapter 14, I'm sorry. So, this was an event, just like when the Israelites walked across on dry ground and God subdued their enemies behind them, and just like God parted the waters for me when he, when he calmed the storm, and he's done many, 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 many more things like that in my life. But this is one of those times for the disciples that I don't think they ever got tired of talking about it, and they never got tired of sharing it. Matthew chapter 14, we'll begin in verse 22. You guys listen to the story. This is really awesome. Matthew chapter 14, and we'll start in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before them to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He had just finished feeding the, the, the multitude. Verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Could you imagine? And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on water. He came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So this is part two of experiencing the Prince of Peace in our lives. And I pray this transforms your life. I gave a testimony this morning about a really, I, I used to struggle with anxiety very badly, but it's been a decade and a half, and I've had victory over it. But the reason I've had victory over this anxiety isn't because of medication. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's a Band-Aid. But the reason I've had victory over anxiety is because I've developed a discipline in my life of Casting down anxious thoughts and replacing them with prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. To fall asleep, prayer and praise. To wake up, prayer and praise. Throughout the day, prayer and praise. And I encourage you to go back and listen to this morning's sermon, but let's pray and then continue on with knowing the Prince of Peace. All right? Is that okay with you, Garyon? Bubba? All right, let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would through your Holy Spirit, put your word in our heart, and Lord, help us to know the peace of God that passes all understanding. In Jesus' glorious name that we pray, amen. So the first thing that we need to know about 
knowing the Prince of Peace. Because peace is not just, again, the absence of anxiety or the absence of conflict. Paul wrote about this peace in, 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 an, in an environment, in a situation in his life that was riddled with situations and issues and problems and chaos and uncertainties and unknowns. So peace is not about the absence of conflict. Peace is not about everything going the way you want it to go. Peace is about the presence of Jesus Christ, but not just that. It's about knowing him intimately through a relationship. And it's about submitting to his authority in our life. And only then can we know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And so here are some of the principles that we learned from this situation right here. And that we know the peace of God that passes all understanding. First off, from this passage in Matthew chapter 14, we know the peace of God by resting in God's providence. By resting in God's providence. Look at verse 22. So here we have the disciples, and they're in a storm. And this story is shared in, in all of the Gospels, and it talks about there's a great storm, and the disciples were very afraid. And we see in verse 22, watch this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. What does this tell us? Jesus set the disciples up for the storm. That's exactly what that tells us. Jesus created this storm. He puts them in the boat. He tells them to go on the other side. He goes up on a mountain. He's praying for them, setting the storm up in their life. And the storm hit. And so it is with our lives. You and I will never find ourselves in a storm that's coincidental, that's accidental, that's incidental. Every storm that we ever find ourselves in is providential. And we have to be anchored in this truth in order to have peace. If any of us ever find ourselves in a storm, it was a setup. And Jesus Christ was behind it. And this is what the providence of God means. The providence of God is simply the hand of God in the glove of human history, orchestrating everything into conformity with his will. Now, some storms are correcting storms. And we read about these correcting storms from Jonah. When he was running from God, you remember that? And then the big storm, and then here comes the fish, and it swallows him up. That was a correcting storm to get him back on track. Have you guys ever been in a correcting storm? Oh, goodness. Some storms are correcting storms. Some storms are perfecting storms. What's perfecting storms? The disciples were in the center of God's will. They were following Jesus, but they weren't perfected in Christ. He was still teaching them and training them. So some storms are correcting storms. Some storms are perfecting storms. And either way, we trust Christ because we're going to emerge from them more in sync with God's will, closer to Christ, and we'll look more like Jesus Christ. I have a confession to make. So I grew up in West Texas, and... West Texas, there's a couple of things that were pretty important to us growing up. One was football, and uh, you know, we played tackle football in the street. It didn't matter. We just wanted to play football. And the other thing is we fought a lot. That was kind of how we passed the time. And um, so I, I was getting in these fights, and my parents got on to me. They're like, Shane, no more fights. Well, the problem with that was, was that I was in the cafeteria at the table with the cheerleaders, and Bo Boren threw a pickle at me. And I couldn't just let that go. And so I got in a fight with Bo right there in the cafeteria. And, you know, my nose got all bloodied. And not only that, but I hit Bo and, and it broke my hand. Well, I tried to hide it from my parents for the longest time. 
and I was going to football practice. This was the eighth, seventh or eighth grade. And so I was always hiding my hand because it really got swollen. And so I told my mom, I said, Mom, I think I need to go to the doctor. And she said, what happened? And I said, well, I got my, my hand caught between two helmets in football practice. And she said, well, let's go to the doctor. And so the doctor said, now, what exactly happened? And I explained. And he said, well, what we're going to have to do is this is called a boxer fracture. And we're going to have to re-break your hand in order to set it straight. He said, normally... People who get boxer fractures get them in a fight. But since you uh, got your boxer fracture by getting it caught in between two football helmets, um, well, I'll give you the choice if you want me to deaden it or not. Because people who get in fights, I usually don't give them the choice. I just re-break it for them. And I said, yeah, I just re-break it. And I kind of think he knew what was up. So he re-broke it, and he set it properly. And then I was able to heal And sometimes when we go through storms, it's correcting. Sometimes it's simply perfecting. But either way, it's God resetting us so that we heal properly and we follow him and we look more like Christ. How many of you guys are in a storm in your life these days? Raise raise your hand. I'm in a storm. I'm in a couple storms, actually. And it's not accidental. And here's what the Bible says about the storm. And and I say that with joy in my heart that I'm in some storms. I truly do. Because I know it's not coincidental. It's not accidental. It's not incidental. It's providential. And God is using it in my life to correct me. He's using it in my life to perfect me. He's using it in my life to make me more like Christ. And what was he doing in the disciples' life? Well, we see that in the verse right before, in the passage right before, you want to know what what Jesus was trying to get the disciples to do? They came to him and they said, look at all these people. They need something to eat. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they said, look, all we have is this, you know, this five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, here, give it to me. I'll do it. The disciples could have done that. He was trying to get the disciples to act in faith. And so this is what their perfecting storm was about. To bring them to the place where they trust Christ to move the mountains that block their path. Okay, so here's the second principle we learn about the storm so that we can have an intimate relationship with the God of peace in the midst of the storm. One is that we rest in God's providence. Two, we've got to recognize Christ's presence in our lives. First, we have to rest in God's providence, and, and second, we have to, yes, uh, what page? You know what, would you guys look up what page of Matthew chapter 14 in the Blue Bibles? What? Thank you, thank you, Lee. Thank you, Ms. Brown. All right, so the second key is to, is to recognize Christ's presence. All right, so... Let's pick up in verse 23. After the crowds, he went up, he dismissed the crowds, and he went to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. And in the fourth watch of the night, this means that the disciples were rowing their boat for about three or four hours. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking under the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the boat, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. Why are they terrified? They're terrified because they didn't recognize Jesus Christ. And the reason that we have anxiety in our lives is because we don't recognize the presence of Christ in our daily lives. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. You know what the greatest command all throughout Scripture is? It's don't fear. Don't fear. 
you know what the greatest promise is? I am with you. And oftentimes this command and this promise go hand in hand. Don't fear because I am with you. Don't fear because I am with you. Thirdly, we have to rely on the Spirit of Christ. And let's look at verse 28 through 31. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? So in order to cast the anxiety, in order to cast the fear out of our lives, first, we have to rest in God's providence. Second, we have to recognize Christ's presence in our life. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. Thirdly, we have to rely on the Spirit's power in our life. And this is the ultimate purpose of these correcting storms. This is the ultimate purpose of these perfecting storms. It's to look at the mountains that block our path and say, I'm not a slave to you. I don't have to cower in fear to you because my God is with me and my God is for me and it's not about me and it's not up to me. So we trust in Christ's power. There was a great evangelist named uh, and a pastor at First Baptist Dallas for 40 or 50 years named W.A. Criswell. And I had the, uh, I had the chance to meet W.A. Criswell. And I was really hoping for some really inspiring words of wisdom from him. This was probably um, 25 years ago. And I met him, and he said, um, he said, praise God. This is exactly what the world needs, another blonde-headed man in the pulpit. And I thought, that's not quite the words of, infor- in, of inspiration I was hoping from this man of God. But then he continued, and he said, reserve the morning times for Jesus Christ. Lock yourself up in your office with Christ. And people will ask you all morning long, what's that pastor of ours doing behind closed doors? When Sunday morning comes around, they'll know what you were doing behind closed doors. You were spending time with Christ. Now, those are words to build a ministry on right there. But W.A. Criswell said on his 80th birthday, they asked him, how real is Jesus to you? And he held out his hands, and his hands were trembling, and tears were coming down his cheeks. And he said, Jesus is as real to me as the back of my hands. And I can tell you guys that is the truth in my life. Jesus is more real to me than that piano right there. Jesus is more real to me than my good friend Robert Moore sitting right there. He's my closest friend. And every time in my life, no matter what trial I have ever been up against, no matter what mountain that has ever blocked my path, if I stood upon the promises of God and trusted in Christ, He has always protected me. He has always provided for me. He has always delivered me. Anytime I've ever cried out to Jesus and prayed through until the Spirit broke through, His Spirit has always broken through and flooded my heart and mind with the peace of God that passes all understanding. The more we walk with Christ and the more we find ourselves in these storms of life, whether correcting or whether perfecting, or whether it's, it's an attack from the enemy, Jesus still uses it. You look at Job's life. What was, what was his storms about? Was it correcting Was it perfecting? Was it an attack of the enemy? It was a unique blend of everything. But Christ was glorified, and he trusted his God. And then God delivered him, and God healed him, and God provided for him. And Jesus Christ is so faithful. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
He's never failed me. He's never abandoned me. He's never forsaken me. And he'll never forsake you. But he wants us to trust him. He wants us to cast our cares upon him. He wants us to cry out to him until his peace floods our heart and mind. I remember um, I was, I was, this was in 2001, a couple of years before we started HopeWorks. And I was reading my Bible and I was in downtown Fort Worth. And I read, nothing is impossible for those who believe. And the Holy Spirit just ignited that promise in my life. And I thought to myself, if nothing's really impossible, what would I do? And I thought, I know exactly what I would do if nothing were impossible, even though I don't have a dime. There was this theater that's now Riyadh. It used to be the Caravan of Dreams, this concert venue. I would go rent out that concert venue, and I'd invite college and single ministries from all over the Metroplex to invite their lost friends to it, and I'd share the gospel, and many people would get saved. And before you know it, I left my books there at the table, and I'm walking across downtown Fort Worth, and I go into the, uh, the Riyadh, and I act like I've done this a hundred times before, and we put it on the books, and I didn't have a dime, and then one thing led to the next, and money kept coming in, and I honestly prayed for a tornado, because as more ministries kept jumping on board and coming on board, I was like, God, I'd really like to be out of this situation, because of the anxiety and the pressure that I felt. So, you know, many times I tried to back out, but the Lord would never let me back out, and so I just kept putting one foot in front of the next, and... I was praying and I was crying my eyes out to God and it was, I was in my office and I was crying my eyes out to God. He put a picture on my heart and that picture was of this, uh, it was this packed out auditorium, shoulder to shoulder from the front to the back with this yellow hazy light and when that image was in my heart along with the promise and the promise was don't fear the multitude for the battle is mine, says the Lord. It was clear as day how God spoke to me. Well, as the event rolls around, the band plays. Um, it was a band that used to come to a little coffee shop and play for us. They were called Bliss. Now they're the Afters. They're a really big band these days. And they played. And then a good buddy of mine did this drama. And then it was time to share the gospel. And I stepped up to share the gospel. And I looked out. And guess what I saw? From shoulder, from the, all across the auditorium, shoulder to shoulder, from the front to the back, in this yellow hazy light. And I knew that God was in this. He's as, Jesus is as real to me as the back of my hand. And when you, when, when, when you replace these thoughts of anxiety with prayer and praise, 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 then incorporate a promise from God. Because anytime you resist and replace thoughts of anxiety with prayer and praise and stand upon a promise from God, every promise is yes and amen and it's just a matter of time before that promise becomes a reality and you'll be even closer to christ and like wa criswell you'll say jesus is more real to me than the back of my hands and then the fourth the fourth principle that we learned from this in terms of casting down anxiety is this rejoice in christ's glory so Peter walks on the water, and this is exactly what Jesus is, is teaching them to do, to focus on him, to don't, not focus on the distractions. Don't focus on the waves. Don't focus on what people are saying about you. Don't focus on the financial situation. Don't focus on the unknowns. Don't focus on what you might fear in your future. Focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter was doing. And though the storm was raging around him, he was subduing the storms. 
He had dominion over the storms. But the moment he took his eyes off of Christ, he began to sink and he began to cry out. And in the same way, we've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, continually casting down thoughts of anxiety and replacing them with prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, and standing upon the promises of God. And the moment we take our eyes off of Christ and we cease to pray and praise, pray and praise, and stand on some promise from God's word, then anxiety will flood our soul. But we cast that down again. We pray and praise and stand upon the promises of God, and then we will know peace. And the peace of God will flood our hearts. He'll flood our spirits. And we pray through until the peace of God and the spirit of God breaks through. Have you guys ever done that? Isn't it such a temptation just to feel that we are uh, subject to the whims of circumstances and we're a slave to our anxieties and we're not allowed to have peace until everything is going exactly how we want it to go. That is not the life that God has called his saints to live. We are called to not live uh, apart from storms but in the midst of storms with dominion over the, the storms because we are praying and praising, standing on the promises of God and we pray until the peace of God breaks into our heart and mind. And our hearts are flooded with peace. You and I are not slaves to anxiety. We are not slaves to the mountains that block our path. We are not slaves to circumstances that are out of our control. And all of life, by the way, is out of our control. But we pray and praise and stand on the promises of God until the Spirit of Christ floods our soul. And we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I want to encourage you guys to lock yourself up in your prayer closet and pray and praise and stand on the promises of God and continue to pray and praise and don't leave that prayer closet until the peace of God floods your heart and soul and then you'll walk out of the prayer closet and you'll emerge and there might still be a storm around you but you'll be a different person. You'll be walking in dominion over the storm. Have you guys ever subdued your storm? Have you ever said, peace be still? Perhaps the storm calmed, like the story I shared initially. Or perhaps you just said, peace be still, by praying and praising and standing on the promises of God until the Spirit of God flooded your soul. And though the storm was there, you were a different person. And then the Spirit of Christ through you was the eye in the storm. And people looked at you and they didn't see Eric. They saw the Spirit of Christ shining through Eric. And everybody wanted to have a relationship with the same God that Eric worships. That's what Christ wants for us. You see, Christ doesn't get glory in our life when we have peace because everything is going exactly how we wanted it to go. Christ receives glory in our life when everything is spiraling out of our control, but we have boldness and peace and love and joy and authority because Christ is shining through us, and that's a testimony. When there's this contrast between our countenance and our circumstances, the world finds it irresistible to investigate. That's kind of a good point. I've got to say that again. When there's a contrast between our countenance and our circumstances, the world finds that an irresistible spectacle to investigate. And what it is is hope. And it's the Spirit of Christ shining through us. And they can't deny that Christ is real because he's living through us right then and there. They may pretend to be an atheist, but that's only surface stuff. It'll haunt them and they'll never forget it when they see a real hope shining through somebody. 
And so if you have some storms in your life, pray and praise and stand on the promises of God and pray through until the peace of God breaks through and your heart is flooded with peace and peace will just shine through your countenance and it'll contradict your circumstances and you'll be a witness. You'll be like the brightest star in the sky. And then, and then we rejoice in Christ's glory. So then Jesus gets in the boat and they just start praising him. They just start praising him. Do you know, this is the one thing that we have. This is the one thing that we have that the world can't take from us. This is it. This is it. Viktor Frankl, who was a prisoner in the Nazi concentration camp, said, you know what? They can take my wedding ring. They can take my family away from me. They can take my clothes. They can take my dignity. They can take my health. They can take my life. But this is the one thing they can't take from me. They can't take my response to them. They can't take how I choose to respond to what they do to me. And in the same way, whatever comes against us, we can always praise Jesus. Maybe your heart's sorrowful. Maybe your heart's sad. You can praise Jesus. Maybe there's some family members not acting the way that you long for them to be. We can praise Jesus. Maybe things aren't unfolding vocationally like you expected them to unfold. We can praise Jesus. Maybe things in the ministry don't even look like you expected them to look. We can praise Jesus. And we continue to praise Jesus. And what happens is our life will bring a smile to the face of Jesus. And ultimately, that's what it's all about, pleasing an audience of one. Because when we get to the end of our lives, we're not going to say, I wish my house were a little bigger. I wish my car were a little newer. I wish my car had a little less miles on it. I wish the shoes in my closet were a little nicer. No, no, none of that stuff matters. None of it matters. What matters is that we lived a life that brought a smile to the heart of Jesus. Because we praised him, no matter what this world threw at us, we praised Jesus for his goodness, we praised him for his grace, we praised him for his glory, and we praised him because we trusted him in the storm. We trusted that, however, for whatever reason the storm came into our life, it was for his glory and our deepest good and the hope of the world, and so we praised him. We praised him. And living a life of praise brings a smile to the heart of Jesus. So, in closing, you know, this whole, th- th- this whole talk on peace from Philippians chapter 4 from this morning and then continued into tonight, this whole thing about peace, guys, it's really, um, it's really a useless talk. It's really a quite useless sermon if the Spirit of Jesus Christ isn't in your heart. There's no point. Um, it's just, without the Spirit of Christ in your heart, it's just, it's just cheap psychology. I mean, but it's through the Spirit of Christ in our heart. He's, he's the Prince of Peace. Here, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said, I'm going to give you peace, but not as the world gives you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And that peace that he was talking about was the Spirit of Jesus Christ in our hearts. 
And this is why it was so good that Jesus died on the cross, and this is why it was so good that he went into heaven. Because the disciples, after spending three and a half years with Jesus, they were heartbroken when Jesus said, you see me now, but you're not going to see me, but then you're going to see me again, but then you're not going to see me. They're like, what are you talking about? And he was talking about his death and then his ascension. And he said, but it's good for me that I go away. They're like, how can it be good? How can it be good that you're not with us? He said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send a helper. Another counselor. He's the wonderful counselor, and he's going to send another counselor, and this is his own spirit. Because do you realize that Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples, discipling them? And he actually, he actually failed. He actually failed. He spent three and a half years teaching them to turn the other cheek and the the least is the greatest and the servant is the greatest of all and to serve one another. And three and a half years, even on the eve of his crucifixion, they're still arguing who's the greatest. Can you imagine? I mean, it's one thing to think it, but then to actually argue about it. They were actually arguing about who among them was the greatest. They were actually arguing about who would have the highest position of authority when Christ entered his kingdom. They thought it would be an earthly kingdom. He spent three and a half years with them, and they were still arguing about who was the greatest. Three and a half years with, with them, and they were still so incredibly unchristlike. Isn't that something? And Jesus said, you see, I've got to die for your sins and conquer death and go to heaven, and then I'm going to send my spirit. Because I've been teaching you from the outside in. But when you receive my spirit, then he's going to give you a new heart. And the Holy Spirit will always be with you. And then the Holy Spirit will live through you from the inside out. So in order to have peace, and in order to have joy, you know, we we have to have the Holy Spirit in our heart. Because peace is the third fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And how do we have the Holy Spirit in our heart? This is the gift of salvation. We, we confess our sins, and we trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and at that moment, we receive the Spirit of Christ, and we're changed. We're never again the same. You know, the coolest thing is like when I spend time with people, and I want to see them fulfill their God-given potential. I want to see them fulfill Christ's purpose for their lives. But I know this. I know that the first step is the Spirit of Christ has to get into your heart. Because until the Spirit of Christ gets into your heart, then, then it's just all religion. It's all just trying. It's all self-effort. But once you repent and trust in that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, at that moment, the Holy Spirit enters your heart, and you're a new person. And then the Prince of Peace begins living through you. And he recalibrates your thoughts and your desires and your heart. And he gives you a heart to want to love God and live for God. And then when you couple the Spirit of Christ with the love of the church family and beginning to learn the promises of God, something happens within you and you begin to make traction in your spiritual maturity. And you begin to grow more and more like Christ. So as we conclude this two-part sermon this evening on the Prince of Peace, let's just, let's just pray to receive Christ for anybody here who might not have the Spirit of Christ in your heart. So, how do we receive Christ? Okay, let's, um, let's, let's make believe for a second, okay? And I'm going to close out with this. So... 
This is the Grand Canyon. This is the edge of the Grand Canyon right here. And the Grand Canyon's about a mile wide, and it's about a mile deep. So imagine that your goal is to jump across the Grand Canyon. Now say, say, say you have two people with you here, somebody that can jump really high and really far. Mm, let's just say Michael Jordan, okay? And say you have somebody else. Um, you guys know who Steve Urkel is? That guy, he wore his pants up here. And, okay, say, Michael Jordan in his prime is on one side, Steve Urkel is on the other, and you're in the middle. And all three of you have the same goal, and that's to jump across the Grand Canyon. All right, so, Steve Urkel goes first. He runs, and right before he gets to the edge, he trips, and he falls all the way down to the bottom. And you're like, oh my goodness, that was an ugly attempt. Oh, that's horrible. Now it's Michael Jordan's turn. He runs, and then he jumps. It's beautiful. I mean, he gets so much height. He soars, and he just floats in the air, and then he stops floating, and then he drops, and he falls a mile. And guess what? It looked a lot, it looked a lot better than Steve Urkel, but the result was the same. They both fell a mile short. Now it's your turn. So you're like, well, goodness, all right. I know I'm going to do better than Urkel. I'm probably not going to. I know I won't do as good as Michael Jordan, but what choice do you have, right? So you run, and right before you, you jump, a helicopter lands. And the pilot gets out, and he goes, what are you doing? And you explain, Urkel just, it was miserable. You should have seen it. Jordan, it was beautiful, but it it, it still kind of turned out like Urkel. And now it's my turn. And then the pilot says, you can try to jump. You can jump. You'll do better than Urkel. You're not going to do as good as Jordan, I'll tell you that. You can try to jump, or you can just get in the helicopter and let me take you across. How many of you guys would try to jump? Would y'all? How many of you guys would try to just get in the helicopter and let the pilot take you across? That's a better answer. That's a better answer. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you try to jump the Grand Canyon, you'll do better than Urkel. But you're not going to do as good as Jordan. And you will fall a mile short and you will die. But if you say, you know what? I'm not going to jump. I'm going to trust the pilot to take me across in the helicopter. Well, that's your best chance, isn't it? Now... It's time to go to heaven. How many of you guys want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Yeah. You know what? Think of the worst person in the world. How about Adolf Hitler? He killed six million Jews. Pretty bad guy, right? Okay, Adolf Hitler. What if he tries to get to heaven by jumping? But he's going to run. He's going to jump. What an ugly attempt. It's going to look about as ugly as Steve Urkel. He fell a mile short, and he is spending forever apart from Christ in a very real place called hell that Jesus spoke about more than heaven. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to run into a house that's burning down, you don't say, follow me outside. It's beautiful. It's about 80 degrees. It's a beautiful breeze. No, you say, this place is burning down. Follow me. When Jesus came to this earth, he spoke more of hell than heaven because this place is burning down. And he said, follow me. So how do we follow him out of death? How do we follow him into life? Well, you look at somebody like Adolf Hitler. What if they try to get to heaven by their own good works? Well, that's a horrible attempt. It looked as bad as Steve Urkel. 
Well, then let's look at the person who maybe was better than anybody else. I think Mother Teresa was probably at the very top. Mother Teresa, you, you know what she did? She went to the poorest parts of India in Calcutta, which I can't wait to go to Calcutta one day. And she lived amongst the poorest of people. She lived amongst the dying. And she loved them. And her nurses gave dignity to these people who lived on the streets and who were dying on the streets. And she washed their wounds. And she washed lepers' wounds as they died. And she just loved them. And one Westerner, somebody from the States came by. And he was a rich guy. And he saw Mother Teresa washing this leper's wounds. And he goes, I wouldn't do that for a million bucks. And she goes, I wouldn't either. Because there was just a love in her heart. And this one homeless guy, he was dying. He said, he said, I've lived like an animal, but I'm dying like an angel. Because Mother Teresa and her nurses were just nurturing him as he passed away. And they would hold them and sing praises and pray over them. Oh, she lived her entire life like that. And then... Somebody who had some affluent money, they, they, they gave Mother Teresa some furniture because she was just living in a very, very, very humble, very uncomfortable situation. And she had this furniture in her room, and she said, get it out, get it out, because if I get used to that, I'll want more and more and more. So you, you look at somebody like Adolf Hitler who killed six million Jews, and you're like, yeah, he fell real short of heaven. But then you look at somebody like Mother Teresa, and you go, oh, wow, that was a beautiful jump, but guess what? It's just like Michael Jordan trying to jump the Grand Canyon. It might have been beautiful, but we're talking about getting to heaven. And nobody can jump that high. Nobody can be good enough. Because the Bible says even somebody as righteous as Mother Teresa is still filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. And there's nobody holy. We're all sinners. And no matter how beautiful a jump is, it might be better than Adolf Hitler. It's not going to be as good as Mother Teresa. And we all, even Mother Teresa, fell a mile short of getting to heaven. Nobody gets to heaven by our own goodness. Nobody. The Bible is clear about that. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You might have tried to jump, but you fell short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So, there's a helicopter that landed, guys. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A helicopter landed. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. And he said, this is the helicopter. Get in. Trust me. I'll take you to heaven. You can try to jump on your own. I'll let you jump on your own. I'll let you try to get to heaven by trusting in your goodness, but you will fall short. Or you can get in the helicopter by trusting in what I did for you on the cross. And the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3, 16. God loves you so much he gave his only begotten son. That's the helicopter to take us to heaven. And if we believe in him, if we just trust that, we'll have everlasting life. And the moment we repent of our sins and trust in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and that he conquered death, his spirit enters our heart and we're new, we're heaven bound, we're going to heaven. And Aleah and Tatiana and Jayla, I really want you guys to know Jesus died for you and he loves you. And if you trust in him, he'll enter your heart through the Holy Spirit and take you to heaven. I want all of you guys to know that. So would you bow your heads with me, please? You can try to jump to heaven, and you'll do better than Hitler. 
You won't do as good as Mother Teresa. I'll guarantee you that. We've all kind of blown that. But there's a helicopter that'll take us there, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we trust in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, he died for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. And the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. So let's just pray in an audible voice, and everybody pray out loud in an audible voice. Jesus, I know that I have sinned. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know that I've tried to jump to heaven, but I've fallen short, so I get into the helicopter. I trust in you, Jesus, that you died for me, and you rose from the dead. So Jesus, come into my life and give me your spirit to make me your child so I can go to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. And with your heads bowed, I just want to pray peace over you, the peace of God. And if you have anxiety, if you've been wrestling with anxiety, maybe like me, I shared, I had a bout with anxiety, and perhaps you, you're, you're there. If you've been struggling with anxiety, I'm not going to call you forward. I just want to pray a prayer of peace over you. If you just raise your hand, I would just like to pray over you. And Father, you see these hands in Jesus' name, God. I pray for the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard their hearts and minds. Oh, God, we pray for peace on top of peace. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just renew every heart and mind, refresh every heart and mind. We pray for the peace of God that passes all understanding. Thank you and praise you. To you be the glory. Lord, give us the strength by your Spirit to replace anxious thoughts with prayer and praise and standing on the promises of God. And we pray that your peace would flood our hearts and souls. And we pray that our countenance, our countenance and our circumstances would be this, this contrast that displays hope to a world that can't deny the Jesus in our heart. We pray for peace on top of peace. Jesus, you said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you. The Prince of Peace has filled our hearts, and Lord, we just pray peace on this congregation. Shalom, everything as it should be, in our hearts and minds and relationships. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, some closing announcements, guys. I just want to thank you guys so much for being here tonight. And remember, March the 26th, not this coming up Sunday, but the next. Let's just round up kids everywhere. They're just, it's like, they're just everywhere. We just have to open our eyes. And let's round them up, and let's bring them at 1030 and the, 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 the illusionist is going to be a blast for them. There's going to be worship. Uh, we've got a, an incredible team that loves on people. And they're going to share the gospel. And we're just expecting many kids to get saved. But remember, let's not stop there. Let's continue to bring them and just continue to pour into them, okay? And also, you guys keep in mind, Jackie Velasquez will be here on the 8th. Uh, they just said, hey, can we come have a concert at HopeWorks? And we'll do all the promoting and tickets. And we said, sure. So um, it'll be a packed house, and we'll just get to share the gospel and invite them to come back on Easter Sunday the, the next week. So that's just a blessing that the Lord gave us. So you guys be, be mindful of that and looking out for that. And our membership series will continue. No, actually, we won't have our membership series or, or any activities up here on Wednesday night because of spring break. Uh, we'll just take a break. So with that being said, I just want to say I love you guys, 
and I'm praying for you, and I'm so grateful that you're here tonight, and you are dismissed.